0: but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at
1: TravelWyoming.com. Every spring, if you live in the country, you go out into the woods, and this is what you hear. It is a nice sound. What you might not realize, though, is that what you're actually listening to is this. We're ready for the start. They're up in the
0: Kentucky Derby.
1: Once the snow thaws, the temperature is just right, and the spring rains begin, a swarm of soft-bodied amphibians suddenly launch into a frantic race.
2: Thousands and thousands and thousands of salamanders and frogs all moving at the same time en masse to their breeding pools, and it's just exquisite. And most people don't even know that it's happening.
1: The night this migration kicks off, it's like a tractor beam is suddenly pulling every amphibian out of the woods. The problem, of course, is they need to cross roads. Roads filled with fast-moving two-ton metal vehicles. So maybe it's less like the Kentucky Derby and more like a real-life game of Frogger. Needless to say, you've probably been out there driving on wet spring nights like this, unintentionally flattening frogs and peepers along the way. You murderer. When producer Taylor Quimby and I drove to Keene to witness this annual migration, we probably killed a few dozen amphibians just getting there. The next morning I even found one peeper squished on the floor of the passenger side of my car. You know, you just, you try your best, but ultimately you're gonna squash a couple frogs. So why would all of these vulnerable, fragile little explorers risk the traffic? What place is so alluring, so attractive for laying eggs that half of them may die just making the journey? It's a patch of fresh water, so unremarkable looking, you'd be likely to think It's just a fetid puddle in the woods. I'm Sam Evans-Brown from New Hampshire Public Radio. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. And today we're going to start something we're calling 10 by 10, where we take you on a journey to a 10 by 10 plot and uncover the secrets in spaces you'd never think to look. And we're kicking it off with a close up on a spot you may otherwise step right over or in, as the case may be. I'm talking about vernal pools. These are basically just depressions in the forest floor that fill up with rainwater or snowmelt. It doesn't have a stream trickling in, and there's no brook trickling out. Depending on how much rain there's been, sometimes the water pools up around the bases of the trunks of trees in these pools. Essentially, it's a puddle. But, and this is what separates them from regular puddles, vernal pools are around just long enough to support life massive amounts of life.
2: The big thing that we look for is amphibian egg masses of the species that are vernal pool species. This
1: is Brett Phelan. She's a biologist with the Harris Center down in Hancock. You heard from her earlier. She has taken us to one of these vernal pools just a short walk into Robin Hood Park in Keene. She reaches into the water and pulls out a glob of frog eggs.
2: Oh, my God. So wood frog egg masses look like tapioca pudding, really bumpy. Spotted salamander egg masses look like jello, and then we have another salamander called the Jefferson salamander, and their eggs look more like jelly. Can so,
3: Sam? Can Sam try
1: holding them? <laughs> Do you want to? Is it gonna are sp- your
2: hands clean? Uh,
1: there are not only hundreds of eggs in her hands, but when we look out across the pool, there are hundreds more similar globs spread out over every inch of this pool.
2: Most of these will not survive and become adult frogs. I, I read one. One study that said it's not uncommon for a small vernal pool, this is not a small vernal pool, maybe one of those other ones that we passed, a small vernal pool can produce up to 10,000 froglets, but maybe 10 of them will make it to adulthood. The rest are food.
1: Okay, think about that math for a second. As many as half of these road-crossing frogs will get squashed by a car. And as many as 9,990 froglets in every 10,000 will be eaten by turtles or coyotes or other scavengers. And yet, these vernal pools are the safest place to lay eggs because there is one predator that's notably absent. Fish. That's what makes it all worth it. There are no fish in a vernal pool. Instead, what you'll find is a rich and super weird ecosystem of unlikely creatures, including spotted salamanders, which are six inches long and live most of their lives underground.
3: So this one So this, this is, is a the...
2: dead salamander. Oh jeez. Oh, that's kind of a mess, huh? Yeah, this is a mess. It's really sad.
1: Biologists are especially bummed to find these squished on the road because these little spotted guys can live to be 20 years old, which means there may be salamanders out there in the woods that could remember when Montel Jordan was topping the charts. And that's not even the half of it. If you want to see real craziness, get yourself some tall rubber pants... And wade into one of these puddles. Yeah,
3: every time I go back out, in these, I, I find new, you know, holes that I have to
2: patch
1: <laughs> up. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My
3: first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet, the emptiness and the harshness, really, I found transformative.
2: Or, a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to (laughs) eat me? But then, I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it, and it won't eat me, and maybe I'll ride that back to shore. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah. Join me, Laleh Arakoplu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts.
3: Every time I go back out in these, I find new, you know, holes that I have to patch <laughs> up. You can see
1: Rick Van Rick is a sort of freelance biologist for hire. He comes with his own hip waders he swings his net in a wide semicircle along the bottom of another pool, this one in Pembroke, and brings it up for inspection. I've got, I've got a clam, right? It's so right
3: there. Oh yeah. A clam! Okay. There are clams living in the woods! So this is one of our fairly common so our clams. And uh, these are called pill clams in general and that's about all they get. They don't get much bigger than that. It's
1: no surprise that you haven't noticed them. They're pretty much the color of a dead leaf and about the size of the head of a pin. And it's not just clams. There are snails, too. And shrimp. The fairy shrimp.
3: Eubrancopus, mostly Vernalis in our area, are these little inch-long critters that have 10 appendages like a good crustacean should and float around in the water column and breed like mad, um, males clasping onto females and doing their thing, and then laying eggs that lay dormant.
1: Those eggs have to completely dry out, then be covered in water again before they'll even think about hatching. If the right conditions don't present themselves, if a given year is too wet or too dry, fairy shrimp eggs just stay buried there, right below the surface. Waiting.
3: And for that matter, can lay dormant for several years at a time. Uh, Some of our fairy shrimp out out west uh, will go for, they estimate, even hundreds of years.
1: If there is an asteroid that hits the Earth tomorrow, it will totally be the descendants of fairy shrimp that repopulate the Earth. But here's the point. These depressions, these random puddles in the middle of the woods are chock-full of life, full of froglets, fighting the odds, 20-year-old salamanders, clams, I've got, I've got a clam. fairy shrimp, and you've probably walked right by them without a second glance. This is vernal pool expert number three, David Patrick with The Nature Conservancy. Especially if you came at night and you look into the water and you see that incredible boiling life. I mean, you have all of these organisms. It's packed full of invertebrates of these vertebrate amphibians. There's so much life going on. If you turn around and look back in the forest, there really isn't
3: much going on. And so these are incredibly productive places in the landscape.
1: As a rule of thumb, wetlands produce twice the biomass of the forests that surround them, that means vernal pools are cranking out more pounds of tadpoles and salamanders per year than pounds of trees and squirrels and songbirds growing in the forest each year. And all of that life is frantically trying to do its thing before the pond dries up and it's too late. So it might be that you know this pond dries this year before any of the, of the tadpoles emerge. So everybody in this pond dies. So that is the race. This is the bargain that salamanders and frogs that have evolved to lay their eggs in vernal pools have signed up for. There are fewer predators in these pools, but if the weather is dry, those tadpoles are totally doomed. This is actually kind of what's beautiful about vernal pools, is that sooner or later, all of them dry up. This explosion of life or food and activity just stops. The frogs and salamanders that survive clear out, and the clams and shrimp. So what happens to these guys when it dries up?
3: They close up shop. They go dormant.
1: So, just think of that next time you're tromping along in the woods. If you hit a low spot with maybe a little bit of water staining on the leaves, stop for a second and think. You could be standing on shrimp. You could be standing on shrimp. Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown, and Taylor Quimby, with help from Maureen McMurray and Logan Shannon. Sadly, at least one peeper was accidentally harmed in the making of this episode. Sorry. Our theme music was made by Breakmaster Cylinder. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or however you prefer to listen, usually by pressing a button that says subscribe. Our website, where you can see photos and videos of frog orgies, is outsideinradio.org. We tweet at Outside In Radio. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Thanks for listening.
0: Does that not need, like, a word of explanation?